Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland, and I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, who is one of the co-founders of Cavalia. When Dominique and I get together, it's always a non-stop conversation. And today, I expect it's going to be even more so because we have our first guest on the podcast, which is really exciting. So today, Hannah Brannigan is joining us. And when I suggested to Dominique that we invite Hannah as our first podcast guest, she jumped at it. So Dominique, I thought I'd turn over the introductions to you and... What, what excites you about being able to have this afternoon to chat with Hannah? Well, first of all, Anna has a podcast, too. It's called Drinking from the Toilet. Yes. And I listen to her podcast on a regular basis. Uh, she's, she's a well-known dog trainer, especially uh, she teaches a lot in com- competition obedience. She's a member of the Karen Pryor Academy faculty. And I just love the way she talks about training. She's a very thorough person. She studies and is a nerd of behavior analysis and uh, love to share her enthusiasm and her knowledge. And so I was thrilled to have her with us today. Very neat. And what I learned too was that I knew she had dogs, but I think you have five dogs. Anna, is this correct? Oh gosh. Yes, that's correct. Five right now. Five dogs, yeah. but I also I didn't know, but I learned that you have two horses. Is this still correct? Yes, as of this morning. Yes, as of this morning. Well, I just check on them because things are always. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Know. And she's also very funny. She she <laughs> she jokes all the time. So it's um so it's the perfect match. I mean, dog owner and horse owner. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Hannah, there are a couple opening questions that I had, and. The first one is, why the obsession over balance? There are a lot of dog trainers, a lot of very good dog trainers, who have not gone down that rabbit hole. So what is it for you that really drew you into this fascination with balance? Sure. Well, I mean, I think so first, just to clarify, we're talking about the physical, physiological balance. Yes. Well, I guess, and also psychological balance. Ooh, this could get complicated. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I always think, think of balance as those, I mean, those three components are important. Yeah. That there is that the physical balance, critically important and, and totally obsessed with that. There's the emotional balance, which goes hand in hand, that mm-hmm. that emotional balance helps to create physical balance. And there's the mental balance, the do I understand what it is that you're teaching? And your training needs to be in balance. But what I was really thinking of when I asked that question was the physical balance component. Because you, like me, we're both we are both totally balanced, obsessed. Yeah. To the these tiny little details, and, <laughs> and where we both, you know, I, I think if 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 either one of us were visiting the other, if you were visiting my barn and we were uh, playing with the horses, and and one of the horses was twitching a muscle during a training session, mm-hmm. we'd both be going, oh, "Did you see that? Yeah. Did you see that? Oh, that's so exciting!" <laughs> and somebody who's who's just maybe somebody drove you, you know, mildly interested in horses or dogs, they'd be going. I don't see a thing. What are they talking about? Yeah. The horse is just standing there. 
what's going on? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So we both get that part of it. So what is it? What is it that brought you into that rabbit hole? So I think my primary motivation, you know, at least originated from the fact that for my sport, and I like to blame the sport, but it is probably more again, more my neuroses. But for, for my sport, I have developed a very strong interest in training for very high precision behaviors. And in obedience, the scoring at the high levels, it's you know not unlike a lot of high level, not unlike a lot of Olympic sports, the the difference between first place and fourth place or even first place and, and no, no ribbons at all can come down to centimeters. And on a, well, on any size dog, that's, that, that's hard to train for. So I'm always trying to think of, you know, what can I do? There are certainly, I observe individual dogs that seem to come out of the box with the ability to, to hit, you know, perfect center symmetrical behaviors and to be able to be straight and to maintain that and didn't seem to require a whole lot of external influence um, from the trainer to make that happen. Those are not the sorts of dogs that I have in my house. <laughs> and those aren't the sort of horses that I have in my barn. Right. So it was, I started this sort of journey to try and figure out, okay, what can I do with the dogs that I currently have? What changes can I make from a training perspective that could help bring my dog's behavior closer to that ideal? So, you know, I'm looking at my young dog and hit, well, now he's my middle child. So I'm looking at this dog and his natural sit is extremely asymmetrical. He always leans off to one side. He kicks one of his hind legs out. He is very much, to use your word, a higgledy-piggledy sort of dog. And it, it makes it harder to get those fine movements and fine adjustments in the precision of something as simple as a sit. And it, I realized that, well, where I really need to start is, can you stand with your weight balanced evenly on all four corners? And he, no, he could not was the answer to that. <laughs> he stood like a, like a snake or a piece of spaghetti draped over stilts or chopsticks or something. And so I had to start with teaching that balanced stand. And it's still very much a work in progress, but the closer we get to being able to stand with his weight evenly distributed and, him, and have him have voluntary control and be able to find that, uh, you seek that out and find it and then refine it as we add movement and add different levels of complexity to what I'm asking him to do, that translated into, well, since he's standing with his weight evenly distributed on all four legs, then when he sat he was much more likely to end up in a balanced, symmetrical seated, seating, uh, sit, yes. <laughs> sit position. Um, and it, if I, when I wasn't paying as much attention to those elements of balance for stationary and then in, in motion, um, he's just throwing his body around. And I could click for the sits that ended up being straighter, but it was not efficient. And it was real, it just felt, it was, it felt very much like, like sort of a shotgun kind of, kind of approach. I wasn't getting clean loops. He was just as likely to sit crooked the other direction as he was to sit crooked the first direction. And that's not that it just, it didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like good training. So I needed to go back. What was the very, what is, what is sort of the prerequisite for getting that action and, you know, getting that, that balanced in really is one of the first things that I need to have. So you, you could have higgledy piggledy training for higgledy piggledy balance and end up with a really inconsistent you know yes you're including 
straight sit now in the whole repertoire of how I sit. But which of those sits am I going to get was way too random for for what you needed. Yeah, it was, you know, even just trying to selectively reinforce for the the better sits was not, I wasn't seeing a lot of progress. It was, it was, I would expect to see most of the time when I get, when I hit on the right training plan, I get the clean loops going, then I can progress the behavior fairly rapidly, maybe in you know small increments, but I should see progress really instantly. And instead I was just seeing, you know, this you know, to the right, to the left, to the right. Oh, that one was straight. Great. And then another one to the right. There just, it wasn't sticking. So I wasn't, I was definitely not in the right place. Right. And that's to me is a good sign that even if I think my loop was clean, like it looks, I wasn't getting other behaviors. I wasn't getting sniffing or wandering off or downs, but I was also not getting the precision of the behavior that I was looking for. So I needed to go smaller. So you had to figure out what comes before the thing that comes before the thing that I really yes. am after, which is yeah really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that stepping back and stepping back into a behavior just becomes absolutely fascinating. And it takes you more and more and more micro because it's that little twitch that comes before everything else right. that you start with. Which, which... But it can be it can be challenging though because what are the smaller steps? You know, when we look at our horses and we try to deconstruct and identify the components of good balance, what are they? Is it straightness? Is it relaxation? Is it the correct use of muscle and joints? And how do you know that it's correct or incorrect? That's a complicated uh, matter. So what is the process that you go through to help someone deconstruct a behavior to find the things that the, the thing that comes before the thing that you need? That's a great question. Yes. And, and, and you know what? I'm throwing it in your direction. Okay. Oh, no. That's not. <laughs> this is great because, because the last, last time we talked together, I was the guest. And now you're the guest. Yeah. So I get to lob the balls into your court. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I know, Anna, that you are interested in, in what is called task analysis. Yes. And I think that perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that. Let's start by defining it because that's, you know, with all terms, someone might be saying, I, I don't, I, I sort of guess, I'm guessing what task analysis means, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. So how would, how would you both define task analysis? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm definitely not an expert on task analysis. It's a relatively... That's all right. None, <laughs> none of us are experts. We're just talking. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, a, right. it's a fairly new term for me, but in my understanding is kind of the, the essence of it is... We start by clearly defining a goal, like what do we want this behavior to look like, which sometimes for me is the hardest. Like that's one of the hardest things to um, right. uh, to identify, like really be able to define what what uh, what is the behavior that we really want. Can we clearly define it? Can we identify like what all the components of that behavior are? I think we'll just pause there for a second because I think that's a really important part of it because often when we're working with the horses and they're looking okay-ish but not spectacular and you think well you know I want to improve the I want to work on the trot but when you fast forward even sometimes a matter of a few sessions the trot that you were suddenly seeing is 
way beyond anything that you would have imagined for that horse. Mm-hmm. And and so if you were saying, well, let me visualize the final goal behavior, I wouldn't necessarily be visualizing what that horse is going to look like. Because what I would be seeing is what the current horse looks like. And my imagination might not be great enough to visualize the transformation. Yeah, so goals can change as you go. Yes. They can evolve. But so back to identifying our components. Yes, so so Hannah, so you identify the goal, then what? What I'm thinking of when I'm thinking along these lines, I'm thinking about both what do I want the behavior to look like and also what are the conditions under which I need this behavior to be performed like it, as part of that end result because I, I, I don't think we can ever really slice that out. So am I going to need this behavior at a vet clinic and am I going to need this behavior um, at home in my living room? Am I going to need this behavior at a, a show, you know, a trial situation? And so what are the those those environmental conditions? All I think I, I have to include those into that analysis because that completely affects my training plan. And I, I think one of the one of the errors that I made early on was uh, it, in my training journey was I would think only about what I wanted the behavior to look like and not think about those, not think about the conditions. And then I would end up one with a training plan that primarily included working at home, like in my yard. And I would end up with, you know, maybe close to the behavior that I wanted, but only in my yard. And then I would try to generalize this mostly finished behavior if I wanted it, if it was something I wanted to take to a competition or I wanted to take out of the house. And then I had no behavior Um, because of course that's, the environment became part of the cue, part of how that behavior was performed. So now I'm a lot more conscious about including, including what I want, including what I need, what I, what I know about the conditions. Cause sometimes you're guessing, right? That's part of the, the dynamic aspect of it. But my best guess as to what I, what I expect uh, the conditions to be like, where this behavior needs to be performed so that I then can include those steps from the beginning in my training plan. Looking at the components of the behavior, so definitely the physical components, which I think is more relevant to what we're talking about in terms of balance. But then again, also I'm thinking like sometimes there's, for complex behaviors, there are a lot of different you know, elements, distance or duration or you know, all those all those aspects of fluency will, will end up being elements we want to account for. And as well as, you know, and all the way down to what specific muscles are going to be involved or do I want to recruit to, to accomplish this task? Right. Uh, that too goes back to the point you just made, Alex, because it may be that the muscles in the beginning cannot maintain a certain posture. Yes. But as you work, the muscles will strengthen and then your goal can be more duration for the same posture. That's right. Or older patterns that this horse has come with, such for example, a horse that tends to be fairly inverted in the trot, whereas he's got his head up and, and the hollow back look, and that that's his typical trot. And and it's hard sometimes, you know, it's sort of the ugly duckling turning into the beautiful swan. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to imagine what this horse is going to look like when he's starting out with muscling that from the perspective of good biomechanical use of his body is so, we'll call it incorrect, that 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 hollow back is not helping him to carry a a rider's weight. But that's what his muscling is. 
and you look at that and think that's just this horse except it's not and the visualizing of how things can change really interesting it really is and i think one of the things that's excited me is the deeper i get into this the more i realize how much how much more of that improvement is actually accessible to us with with the right training and i certainly don't have all of the answers to what that's going to encompass but every every time i peel away a layer i discover that oh this thing that i that i would have considered you know, whether it's part of the animal's temperament or part of the structure. Structure, I know, in the horse world and in the dog world frequently gets blamed for behavior problems. What would you, what do you mean by structure? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly my question. That tends to be, it tends to be thrown out as, as just a, uh, a big black blob, just like that. Like, oh, well, he can't, he can't trot like that because of his structure. Perfect example we had at a clinic not too long ago. We had a horse who was one of the most downhill horses I've ever seen. His his hindquarters were so much higher than his withers. And you see this in foals, you know, in young horses growing where the they'll have a growth spurt, their hind end will, will grow more than the front end and, and they'll be very downhill for a while. And you think, oh, please don't stop growing. <laughs> um, you know, keep growing, keep growing. But this was a mature horse and he was unbelievably downhill and he had all kinds of just oh, looking at him, confirmational issues. And we did some very simple work with him through the course of the weekend using food delivery to help him shift his balance and come up off of his front end. And we took a picture of him before and picture of him after. And in the after picture, he's level. And I would never have guessed that this was a horse who would be level isn't that cool? in his hind isn't that just astounding it, i i i love i love that so it, my my little higgle higgledy piggledy dog who can yes. stand with all four legs pointed different directions yes um, he has been just for the record he has been evaluated by a structural expert in the dog world and pronounced structurally sound i don't find that plays out in his movement necessarily so that was kind of an interesting aside on the other hand i have a, a dog who structurally Again, as as defined by experts, in quote air quotes, has beautiful movement and lovely balance, and is still very sound at thirteen, which is really interesting. But anyways, back to my higgledy piggledy dog. He's a little terrier, and so his um, what he came with out of the box, he has kind of a roachy back. He's a little low in the front, and his his normal out of the box trot was like that little sewing machine, like the little kind of stereotypical school pony, right? Um, yep, yep. Very, very, very inefficient, very short, um, not fancy, not particularly well balanced, all on his forehand. And having previously trained and competed with my Belgian Shepherds, who have um, a much more elastic and fluent gait, and, and, and a lot of, particularly my, my very first Belgian, a lot of kind of natural elevation um, and animation with, with his trot. I, so we're talking Dutch warm blood yeah. versus um, quarter horse pony cross. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying not to, but just that, that, that look of that really short little trot. Yeah, the, the, the one where they look like they're almost suspended. falling down the hill as like their front yeah. feet are just running really fast. Yep. And so, so yeah, so having had the experience that I couldn't live with, the alternative, right? I will, I, whatever I have, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do whatever it takes to at least improve it. And I thought I could maybe get some improvement. I did not expect how much improvement I could get. 
And I actually just posted on Facebook a video of him performing at a, a little show and go, a little practice dog show. And I had several people comment how they were impressed that my terrier was healing like a Belgian shepherd. Wow. I know. Wow. Big step bringing his hocks all the way up underneath his body. Um, lots of weight shift back. Lots of uh, flexion in his front, which again, looking at him, he doesn't have... If he's just standing at rest, he does not have a lot of angulation in his shoulder. It's pretty darn straight. Also in the rear, pretty pretty darn straight. But then he's moving and you would never guess it because he's bringing those feet up. He's flexing that shoulder. He's really flexing his hocks and stifles, like really rocking back. So you can actually, I took a screenshot and you can actually put a line across his top line. And instead of going downhill to the front, he's actually has his shoulders actually elevated above his pelvis a little bit. He's collected. He's collected. <laughs> wow. Wow. And it looks so different that now, of course, people don't believe me. They think that I just got really lucky and I acquired, I acquired this one particular terrier that has an unusual degree of, of flexion and, and angulation. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and, they, and after all, when they get to be that age, whatever it is, that's just how they move yes. or... <laughs> All, all those other things that you hear are, oh, you're so lucky. He's always been that way. And you think, oh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, and this, this, you're addressing one of the other questions that I wanted us to explore is the connection between dog training and horse training. That oftentimes you'll hear dog people who will say, oh, you mean you can use it with horses too? I would never have thought that. <laughs> or or vice versa, the, you'll hear if you've been using clicker training with horses, you'll say, oh, you mean you can use it with dogs? I would never have thought that. Or at the clicker expo, we'll often get somebody who is a dog specialist who sees one of my talks and they'll say, oh, but she's, she's just presenting about horses. I won't go to her. Or the horse people who say, oh, but Hannah's talking about about." dogs. I, I won't go listen to that talk because I have horses and it's not relevant. Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we, in, and part of, I guess, the answer to how do we increase this awareness that it's all relevant because it's all the same is by having this conversation. Yeah. Because what you're describing is what we want, whether it's a dog or a horse, it's all so similar. It really is. I mean, honestly, a lot of what gave me like the courage to keep trying was what I saw. I saw you present and talk about, and I, I want to, I'm trying to remember that it was, the, the horse was the name Crackers or it could be totally off base. Could be Crackers. Crack, cause he was an, uh, an Appaloosa. Yes. 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 And, yes. and you showed like a before and he looked like nothing in particular, right? He looked like a horse that could be in my backyard. But then when you showed the after and the movement you were able to get from him, was really inspiring. I was like, okay, well, it, I've totally seen that before horse, like not that horse personally, but I have right, seen, right. yeah. And I have ridden that horse and I know what that feels like. And it's not terribly comfortable in my old 4-H history would have said, well, that's because of this horse's structure. Right. And we would have right. written him off and we might've done some things with some side reins and you know that sort of thing, but we would have no real expectation of changing that. Absolutely correct. But yeah, obviously we can't. What a place to end a podcast. What do you mean you can obviously change a horse's structure? I can hear all of you who are listening to this podcast crying out, we want to know how. What do you mean? Well, that's the cliffhanger. We'll pick up next time at this point in the conversation and explore the answers to those questions. In the podcast, 
Hannah talked about the changes in her terrier. We've put the video up that she referred to in the members library of our Equosity.com site. If you aren't yet a member of the site, go to Equosity.com to sign in. We also want to remind you of our upcoming webinars. On July 29, 2018 at 1.30 Eastern Time, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz will be our guest. This is an encore performance. We so enjoyed the webinar we did with him in June, we couldn't resist a second visit. We're also going to have a webinar with Ken Ramirez. That's on August 18 at noon Eastern Time. You've heard us talk about Ken many times in these podcasts. Ken is definitely one of the most prominent figures in positive reinforcement training. Every time I hear him speak or read what he writes, I learn something that significantly improves my training. Not only does he have a deep knowledge of the scientific principles behind learning, but he has applied those principles on more animals and species of animal than you and I will ever see in our whole lifetime. He has also supervised and educated hundreds of trainers at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, where he was responsible for animal care and training for 26 years and continues to do so as the Executive Vice President and Chief Training Officer of Karen Pryor Clicker Training. And if that isn't enough, Ken is also a great communicator. His way of teaching always brings more clarity around the table. Ken grew up on a ranch, so in addition to his expertise in the care and training of animals in zoological facilities, Ken also knows horses. So we're going to have a great conversation. And you get to join in. You can ask Ken about the training of all sorts of animals, from butterflies and spiders to whales and elephants. What can we learn from the training of these exotic animals that can help us with our horses and our dogs? That's what we'll be exploring with Ken. In our recent podcasts, we've talked a lot about choice and control. I know I have a lot of questions for Ken when it comes to medical procedures. How do you gain the cooperation of an animal without damaging the relationship you have with him? That's one of the questions I'll be asking. And you can add your own questions. That's the fun of the webinars. Unlike the podcasts, in the webinars, you get to jump in with your own comments and questions. He's just really got our heads spinning with his first webinar. He gave us so much to think about and chew over. Alex and I didn't want the conversation to end, so we formed a discussion group for people who signed up for the webinar. It's a fun meeting place, and already it's sparking some interesting discussions. When you register for the webinars, that includes membership in the forum. Remember, the webinar with Jesus is July 29, 2018, at 1.30 Eastern Time. And the webinar with Ken is August 18, 2018, at noon. I hope you can join us for both. To register or to learn more about the webinars, visit equosity.com. If you're still stumbling over the spelling, take equus and combine it with curiosity to get equosity. Equosity.com. Next week, we'll continue our conversation with Hannah. We ended with Hannah saying, 
In the past, we, we would have had no expectation that we can change a horse's structure, but obviously we can. In part two, Hannah will explain what she means by that. I hope you'll join us. See you next time.